Yo, welcome to the Nowhere Bus. I'm the driver, former road hockey stick entrepreneur, Darren Clark, whose time as an eight-year-old business tycoon, a veritable Doogie Hauser of the road hockey stick industry, putting plastic blades on discarded wooden stick shafts, came to a quick and sudden end when Joe White's mother angrily demanded a refund for her son's purchase. I'm here with our navigator slash patty cake specialist, former Jay's PR man, Mel Romanin. I really shouldn't be messing around a whole lot in this intro because I'm going to tell you that, that Mel gets pretty excited on this one. He's, he's got a lot to say. So let's get to it because today we're going to be talking about cheese puff making and subtle signs of marital issues, coups and Costco, Tiger Woods and a desire to be the greatest ever, the Toronto Blue Jays offseason along with some, some memories from Mel about his time with Cito Gaston, opening night in the NHL, the Buffalo Sabres, and much, much more. So let's go. We got. Cool. I actually thought this week there's a bunch of things that kind of jumped out at me as kind of defining moments. Okay. Uh, and it works on, on personal, personal level and, and a larger social level. The first one, defining moment, was kind of personal for me. And it, and it goes like this. So I'm sitting in the living room, listening to music, doing whatever on the computer. I'm in my own world. Caroline's out in the kitchen in her own world, listening to music, making pastries. So I happen to glance over at one point where she's pulling the pastries out of the oven. And I noticed that she dropped one. She picked it up. The dilemma. This sounds like a Seinfeld episode. She drops it again. So she drops it a second time. Oh, no. So I'm watching that pastry. I'm tracking it now. She doesn't know I'm doing yeah. this. No, I think you, you, again, in her own you world. think the rule is the, the double down. It's out. The one time, the right. second time. It's got it to should roll. be out of the game. We're, we're taking out of the game, kid. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. Just You're looking a little things. rough. It's not your day. <laughs> That's and it was, and it was, uh, it was like a cheese puff too. So it's not your your toughest of competitors, really. So right, right. So <laughs> you're sending it over the boards, knowing it's not, you know. <laughs> right, right. It's not a long life. Give me a Connor Brown shift. Go up and down the wing. Don't cause any trouble. Get back right. off the ice. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So I'm tracking this pastry now, uh, surreptitiously not letting on and I see her take two pastries and put them on individual plates and then she carries them out to the living room and stands in front of me and I think this is a big moment right now I know which one of those it is and she's like choose which one do you want and I'm like that's not the worst possible thing that can happen you also have to wonder if she knows oh she she didn't know I knew I, I don't. Okay, because I would also add another right, right. dimension to right. the no, test. Well, the, the test to me was, is like, I have work to do in a relationship. Like, obviously, right. I haven't performed right, right. well enough to merit, I'll take the bad one or we'll toss this out. It, she gave me a 50-50 shot at it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It would have been worse if she just gave me the one that dropped twice directly to me. She gave me a choice. So it <laughs> says there is some hope in our relationship, but I'm in a little bit of trouble. Defining moments. And then when I did, so you ch- you chose the one that dropped. No, crazy. 
<laughs> no, I, didn't. I said, I'll, I said, I'll take the one that didn't drop on the floor twice. <laughs> so I was off to a rough start in, in fixing our relationship, but but I wasn't taking that cream puff. No way. No. <laughs> and you probably just you let that slide, and let her, let her eat that cream puff. <laughs> no, well, she, are you she crazy? did eat that. She did eat it though. I'll give her credit. And she thought it was pretty funny that I had noticed and not said anything. So yeah, that was a defining moment, and I thought on, on a larger level, of course, there was. I, 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 honestly, I think that's 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 comes down to the crux of humanity right there. That's our dilemma every day, isn't it? Do you eat the cream puff? Right. I mean, the interaction. How kind of a human being are you? You know, where where do you stand in the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, there was a, there was a coup attempt there last week. That was interesting. Oh yeah. Right, right. That kind of segues nicely, actually. You know, visually, I th- speaking of kindness. When I saw it, I thought visually is just another Saturday at Costco. That's <laughs> it. Looked like the whole Costco crowd. Is there Costco in the states? Do they have Costco? Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Okay. Well, they, they must yeah. have had the worst day ever. You're like nobody was buying a oh, boat no, that no. day. So yeah. Where is everybody? <laughs> Oh, it's just a coup. Where, it's just a coup. Where are our customers? Oh, yeah. They're at the cat. Like they're, they're advertising, right? Like, if you're not, you're not in a coup, come on down. You know? <laughs> or for all your coup-related needs. We have That's things right. in bulk. Twist ties. That's Which is why we're open. You know, it's crazy. Clearly. Like, we're joking around about it. And I've seen a lot of people joke around about it. But it's, it's about it, as serious as you can get. What happened? Oh, well, quite clearly. Quite clearly. I mean... And, and none of it's surprising. I mean, we were trending towards this. I, I think the surprise, I don't know even if it's a surprise, is a bit of the reaction since. Now, it's just a temporary thing. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll be back to this uh, same thought patterns. Not that we aren't. It's like when something that extreme happens, you, you put that group back into hiding a little bit. You know what I mean? Because we, we it, it's not a popular thing anymore. It's still there. I don't know if it's going to follow that rhythm, though. I know we're used to that rhythm, the kind of up and down, but it feels like even last night you had senators or congressmen that wouldn't go through the metal detectors. But that's my point. It, it, yeah, right. I mean, it's, but it's not popular to be, I don't know, so so outwardly hateful and, 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 and you know, with your attempt to just you know, be that kind of person. It's going to, it's putting it back to the back. We're taking people off planes. You know what I mean? It's yeah. giving voice again to the other side. Um, how that goes, how long it lasts. I mean, it is progress for sure. It's like I said before, you see hate and that's how you eradicate it. It's a step-by-step thing. I mean, but you know, the, the idea that they won't go through the metal detectors. I mean, it didn't last long, did it? This whole idea of uh, you know, let's calm the waters here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you got crazy people that like I have to bring a gun into Congress. Like, what is the matter with you? Yeah. And it just it made me think of just the kind of BS delusion that America has been buying into forever. And and you can see it on both sides. Like that night, I watched TV the whole night, which is probably sad that I watched everything. Was it Wednesday that that all went down on the right. 6th? Yeah, and right, as right, it right. fell out, and I'm watching everybody talk, and they're quoting about quoting. Benjamin Franklin and Benjamin Franklin said in 1774 and George Washington and Lincoln, said in 1650 Lincoln. and Lincoln. Lincoln's too, and it's been like, the big guy here. Would you guys just stop it? There's, you know what? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said smart things yesterday. 
Yep. Why don't you quote her from yesterday and stop it with a, this kind of delusion? It's, they're like, it's sort of some kind of combination of John Wayne and, and Linus with his blanket telling Charlie Brown how Christmas came to be. You know, and behold, beneath the star of Bethlehem, a bunch of garbage was written down by old white guys in 1774. And we decided we must follow this forever and quote it forever. Like it's tired. You're not a great nation. You've never been a great nation. Accept it and try to get better. Nobody's a great nation. No, humanity is not fully evolved. Like it's, nations, we may not ever. Nations unto themselves are dumb ideas. We just haven't gotten past it yet. Obviously, it's going to be thousands of years or whatever it is before we move past this whole idea of separate nations. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, right. it's why I always struggle with this whole idea of rah rah Olympics. Look at us. Look at us. Right. We're better than you type thing. I mean, the whole Juniors idea are like that for me. Yeah, it's absurd. Me too. I struggle with it. Olympics yeah. for me though are the biggest, I think. And yeah. it again, it's like who's how can you be a good nation? We're all in competition, you know? Like yeah. we're all knocking each other down. It's it's when you're knocking each other down, it, it it's not really the environment to foster those kind of things. You're right. I mean, the United States just gotta sit there. They'll never do it though. It's like you doing it yourself takes a lot of reflection to go, I'm not that good. <laughs> right. And it, it's, there's no way a collective is doing that. It's just but the how much identity, Darren. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that the kind of that mythology and it's, it's behind, like when you look at what happened with Germany in world war two, there was a mythology attached to it. We got to get back to, you know, back in the days when the Germans were the most noble race or whatever, and blah, blah, blah. It, it all goes on. It's, it, you see the conservatives in Canada take Canada back. You know, when I wrote that article on what's going on with COVID and how it's globally conservative parties are, are kind of at the heart of the problem here. Mm-hmm. And all their catchphrases are the same. If They're you go to same. Brazil, if you go to England, you know, with Brexit and everything, everything is let's get back to some crazy let's get point. Back. In time. That's right. And let's, it's insane to think that let's get back to when you were young and thought everything was great. That's that's who they're appealing to. Let's get back to when it happens to be you, the white guy, you know, felt really safe. Let's yeah. get it back to that point for you. You know what I mean? And there's enough yeah. of those people that appeal to that message. It's a very, very destructive message. It does not promote anything. You know, we, we wouldn't have any minority groups having any rights still if we think like that. And they don't want them to. Yeah. I mean, if you can't see that, how how can you even suggest when you think that way that you're a progressive human being? You don't want anyone in any minority group to have the rights you have. That's basically the crux of the whole position. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's, That's it, what we saw. That coup was a white nationalist. I don't want to call them nationalists. You call them terrorists. You know, you call them racist. Call it which one? White racist. Sure. Sure. Nationalists like gives them some sort of credibility. I don't think they deserve in any way. Yeah, it does. It, it's it's you know lipstick on a pig type thing. Yeah, it's trying, it's trying to pretty it up a little bit of what exactly it is. The, for sure. The, here's and here's a question for me: What exactly is Ted Cruz's demographic? <laughs> who are the people? Is it like kids who had their lunch money stolen and immediately idolize the people who stole their lunch money? And it became like their lackeys. Like, is there that big of a group of people like that? Like, I, I don't get Ted Cruz's allure. Like, he's clearly, 
Clear, like Trump, at least, I, he's always, to me, the, a weak man's idea of what a strong man is. Dude, beautiful. But I, yeah. I think even weak people see Ted Cruz as a weak person. Yeah, like I beard so or no too. beard. Like he could have seven beards at the same time. And I said, so that's a weak guy trying mm-hmm. to cover it up with seven beards. Right. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's quite a niche market he's got there, I think. I, I, I really but he gets do. elected. With yeah, the, well, fair enough. That niche market is just yeah. baffling to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. Fair enough. I don't know. I guess it's not niche. <laughs> but it would be nice if we stopped quoting people from 400 damn years ago. You know, it's like when that cheese puff thing happened to me. If I started, you know, you know, Caroline, George Washington said in 1532, you know, that a cheese puff thou shalt not pick up twice. You know, like I'm not going to quote George Washington from we just need to stop it because it creates this mythology that is self-defeating. I mean, we're artificial light away from barbarism that we have to remember that at all times you take away artificial light barbarism yeah that's that's a good point so yeah, yeah. we need to we still need to be advancing and thinking and because trying every, to improve. every time we lose our artificial light it is barbarism yeah it is <laughs> let the looting begin right right but i think people hang on to those things as safety blankets it's like quoting those people is like quoting the bible it's just, it's a, it's a, I can always fall back on these, this doctrine of, you know, this is exactly the way it is and it's figured out for me. So I no longer need to think, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'll just quote these historic figures as if they're just, you know, it was a perfect thing to do at the time. And we must always believe in this thing or just, yeah. just using it as a reference point. I don't think that's true, but it's you absolutely, know, it's your point it's, to it. It's like when I ran into, uh, I can't remember if they were Jehovah Witnesses or not, uptown. And they started quoting, the, they were talking to me about the Bible. And I always talk to those guys. Yeah, I have no problem sure. talking with people and chatting. And they were talking to me about greed and where greed leads you, you know. And they're talking about it's as easy to get to heaven for a rich man as a camel through the eye of a needle. And I said, oh, okay, so you're telling me that, you know, earthly wealth isn't anything compared to, you know, eternal kind of wealth. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So if you live your whole life for the afterlife, which is more valuable than anything here on earth, wouldn't it be as easy for you to get into heaven as a, a rich man through the eye of a, or a camel through the eye of a needle? Right. You know, I mean, I messed up the, uh, yeah, yeah, quote yeah, yeah. there are some points yeah. on, but that whole idea, right. Yeah. And it's, and that's, I kind of think where we're at in terms of the rigidity of people. It's like you say, it's not about some underlying spiritual attachment as much as it is about greed for power for a place to fit in and feel like you are now elevated in some level it's about elevating yourself right but but it's 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 what you said it's a place to fit in there and and i think this is the human dilemma what you just said about the powerful and elevating yourself is the exact same thing about the jehovah why is he doing what he's doing? Right. It's a place to fit in. Yeah. It's an answer. It's a comfort zone. We all require some sort of that or the chaos in our brain. It just makes things very difficult. So that guy who's the Jehovah is doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Obviously, he's less destructive to our, our planet and things along, but he's just trying to fit in too. He's trying to find his value system. And he wants to know, I solved that puzzle, even though he didn't solve the puzzle. (laughs) But I solved that. And now 
I'm going to feel valued in my little community here by preaching this. So I feel elevated in my little group. I'm elevated, just like politicians or whoever, the white nationals feel elevated in their group. Right. It's just the method you choose, I guess. I don't know. It says something well, about us as goofy humans. It does. And I even could, there's a, a relationship between that and did you watch the first episode of the Tiger Woods documentary? Oh, I haven't yet. And man, I am going to watch it. I don't watch a lot of TVs, you know, but that does appeal to me. Tell yeah, me. I, I was watching it and I started thinking about, it's not necessarily so much about oh. Tiger Woods as it is the concept of wanting to be the greatest ever. Right. And I thought, what an insane concept. The greatest in history. You want to be the greatest in history at a game born in Scotland using little sticks to put a ball in the hole. Greatest in history of what? What are we talking about? Like, it's, it's so insane that I think, um, and we're so conditioned to it, though, I think it doesn't even sound insane on its face. It does not sound insane. It sounds very admirable, actually, and the way we... Darren, I can relate. I'm not, no offense, but, you know, us as sports guys growing up, I mean, the way we were conditioned... That's the conversation, that, right? These All professional time. sports, the greatest thing in the world was to be a champion and to win... And to like, I, I lived it with how I wanted to, you know, you know, my career played out as I just thought it's the greatest thing. And to achieve what I deemed as a child to be the, the pinnacle of life's achievement, how yeah. bloody absurd is it? A baseball. And like, I, you can appreciate the athleticism and, and the achievement. That's like anything in life you achieve to yeah. do whatever you do well, but to elevate people in our society, how, and especially in North America, how sports is everything. And look what it does. Look, yeah. look well, that's why we're watching a documentary on Tiger Woods, because it right. goes beyond putting a ball in a hole, everything that comes with it, right? Yeah. But it's really bizarre when you strip it away. You want to be the greatest in the world at that? That's your oh, You know what? I think to be the greatest, to want to be the greatest in the world at anything applying food to, to underprivileged kids, it would still be a crazy narcissistic thing to think. I it have is. to be the greatest in the history of mankind. And the fact that we kind of run along behind them coming up with these narratives, who do you think is the greatest quarterback in history? Who do you think is, you know, like we have nothing else to talk about or we can't <laughs> imagine better kind of inroads and to appreciate what happens in a sporting contest kind of says a lot about us. Well, again, back to that human dilemma and narcissism and aren't we all uh, there? You know, I look at people, you know, how many people give up themselves entirely to worthy causes? It's just as narcissistic as trying to be the best in the world at something yeah. because you are doing it selfishly because you do it under the disguise that I'm a greater human being because I'm helping everybody else. But you're doing it to validate yourself. Yeah. You're doing it. You, you, who actually completely gives of themselves with nothing in return? You can't do it. It's literally impossible because our vantage point as a human being only comes from here. We, we, we don't have the ability to, to not be some sort of narcissistic, you know, human being. Yeah. What is there beauty in me completely feeding the homeless 24 hours a day? I, but I'm doing it to make myself feel better. At the, at the core of it, we do things to make ourselves feel better. 
You know, it's better that I do that than rape and pillage or whatever you have, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the crux of it, we're always selfish in our needs. You know what I mean? That's just what humans are recognizing, I think, is this, the, recognizing that is how you actually maybe do good rather than evil, I suppose. But, yeah, um, I, don't, I was thinking about Abandoned America is one of my favorite follows on Twitter. And he's, I have a couple of his books. He's a really talented photographer who's been all over yeah, the world taking no, pictures of stuff. different abandoned buildings and what have you. And he had a picture last week of, it was like an abandoned graveyard. There's a different word than graveyard, but for it anyway. And there was all these pictures of a family. And clearly no one had visited that. And all the family that were attached to those people were probably long gone. And I thought that seems sad. A lot of people were commenting on how sad it was, but that's the truth. We're all defined more by the moment than any kind of grand idea. We're here for a blink of an eye and the overall scheme of things. A blink of an eye. That's right. And that's why it's hard to do the right thing in the moment. Because... It comes and goes so quick, but you're right. We are defined, and that's our choice is how we, I think, we move society forward and our race forward is, is what we do in those moments. You're right. I read something that, uh, you know, it's interesting how we deem current moments so important, What whatever it is going on, whether it is a sporting event or how I treat somebody less privileged or, or you know, the, the, the stranger that I run into going to, you know, the story of this a library built in New York city, you know, and at the time it, it was dedicated by the, the mayor and the most powerful people in society. Right. And there's a plaque on the grounds and you go by it today and it's still there. And what it meant to people, you don't know any of those people. <laughs> they yeah. were the most important people in the biggest city in the world. One of them at the time. And you, they, they, they don't exist at this point. So, at the moment, everybody knew them, but in a blink of an eye, it's it, the person or the person observing them, the person observing the plaque, no one's going to know either. So it's got to be about the collective we is what's important because we're just here and gone tomorrow, right? You're talking about 50 years, let alone how old is the universe? I mean, these are right. questions. I'll say, but what, billions right. of years, millions? It doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't matter if it's millions or billions. You get the idea. And the overall scheme of things, yeah, we're pretty much going to be forgotten. And all that will really have defined who we were will be the moments as they happened. And those moments are gone. So it's it can almost feel kind of hopeless, but I don't think it's hopeless. I think it just means what you do in the moment is more important than, than you realize. And also less important. It, I, I think if you just feel it's not important, then there, there's the conversations over. And I think inside of us, if you sit down and, and, and just feel life, I think you do feel moments are important because they go into what's going on. I just feel like there's more going on than what I can view. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's because it, my contribution, while obviously unimportant unto itself, clearly, still feels like there's something more that's going on. So what happened a thousand years ago in the context of that guy's name and dedicating that library that was so important at the time, obviously unto itself means nothing. 
But that moment combined with everybody's moment and what's going on well beyond, you know, <laughs> it's hard to explain. It just, it is. there's a sense that all our moments do mean something. Sure. There's something there Absolutely. that everybody contributes to. What it is, we don't know. And it goes beyond our narcissistic view of life, but that's all we can contribute. Yeah. That's all we can contribute. How about leave it at that? Yeah, it's okay not to know. It, well, you have no choice. Yeah, not okay. yeah exactly. Well, you have to yeah. resign yourself to it because, yeah, there isn't another option, really. You're never going to fully know. But we do, as a human race, have a sense to try and find out, don't we? We're just yeah. desperately trying to find out. Yeah. Always. We're always trying to answer questions. And I think there's probably at some point there is an answer. It's just not. It's, 40, it's 42, I think. If that's, uh, <laughs> is that it's it? It's like this guide to the galaxy. Or is that the question? I guess it's been a while since I read Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy, but <laughs> is it I think they put some. Have you ever, if you're not read no, Hitchhiker's Guide not. to the Galaxy? Of course not. Of course not. It's a good book. It's a good book back when I was in my 20s. I don't know how it would be now, but um, that's the yeah. difference between me and you. You 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 expand your horizons to those things. I, I'm constantly in a, in a nonfiction world, which maybe they're one and the same actually at the end of the day, uh, but I just don't get to those kind of adventure for some reason. I love fiction because it gives you some, a little more dexterity in exploring things. Like you can a little no more question. nimbly bounce around and take things from different angles at times. I, don't get me wrong. I love nonfiction, but fiction sometimes I, I just love the, uh, the looseness in there in terms of creativity at times. You know? it's, it's like playfulness almost. You're still dealing yeah. with nonfiction. That's where fiction comes from. Yep. <laughs> you know, facts and stories, but it's being playful. And I guess I struggle with that a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> so if we're talking defining moments, that's kind of the theme. The Blue Jays off season is something we should probably talk about. Cause yeah, to me, and I also think we need to talk a little bit of hockey too, at some point here with the, uh, we're, we're on the, uh, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's the cusp, right? It's well, we hockey, are. It's quite hockey night eve. But I do find the, yes, you mean the lack of movement. In, in... And we've chatted a little bit about this before. And I think this is the best opportunity the Jays are ever going to have. I'm oh, looking around so at the teams and you start thinking, it's like last year for them making the playoffs. They couldn't not make the playoffs. When you looked at the teams that just weren't trying, just by virtue of kind of, sort of, almost trying, they were going to make the playoffs because there's too many teams just dying on purpose out there. Right. Especially with the format. I mean, it was, it was the silver platter was right there. Here right. you go. And, you know, free I mean? agency this year is so similar. How many, you can look at whole divisions that are not actively trying to get free agents. Like you, you don't need more than your one hand to count the amount of teams that are really aggressively looking to get guys. And some of them have used their bullets. I mean, San Diego was, was pretty active there early, did a great job, I thought. The Mets, I think, have done a, a great job as well. They've been very bold. Of course. Of course. And I don't think it's too early to write the Jays off for this offseason because there's too many guys still available. There's going to be more guys than, than teams, and they're going to get whatever's left over, which is still going to be very good. So, you know, uh, that's kind of not the approach I would want to take, but th they're fortunate. Again, it, it's, again, year two, it feels like, the silver platter is going to present it to you. There's good players that with no teams to sign them. Well, this, this idea, I, I just love how 
again, it goes back to people with money trying to tell you that they don't have any and can't spend it. I mean, <laughs> the, the absurdity of all of these sports teams acting like they're broke. I mean, mm-hmm. what an excuse it's been like. They always do it. They've done it forever and forever. They've always downplayed, you know, the amount of money and how, how absurd it is to pay players and they can't afford it. Now they have an excuse. And, and people are just always willing. Yeah, of course, COVID, no fans, we're broke. So many teams are just using that as a vehicle to not spend money and try to reduce costs and, and make as much money as they can without having to win. It's a real shame and the sport suffers for it. There's no reason for these teams not to spend money. Yeah, you're right. In, in, if you look in this little box of 2020, revenues are decreased. There's no question. But if you look at the picture of what's going on here, if you're here to win, or are you here just to maximize profits for the year? Because there's going to be plenty of money to go around. There's plenty of TV money. No one is suffering greatly. You know, the, the, the cheapest of cheapest teams, I believe, can afford to compete in some way. It's crazy seeing the White Sox sign Hendricks yesterday. In, in that context... In that context, to see them give three years, fifty-four million to, to Hendricks in a market ripe with a, a ton of great relievers. To me, it was actually the opposite of what you're talking about. It's a team acting like it's five years ago or something. I don't I don't even know what the White Sox were thinking on that deal. That just seemed crazy. I, I, and I think it is crazy. It's one of those things. Sometimes you just know that oh, that's a bad idea. I mean. Five Sometimes years ago would have been to, a bad idea, let alone now in the market where you, I think you could get any number I, of relievers. I'm still struggling with the fact that Liam Hendricks pitches in the major leagues. Never mind 54. <laughs> Darren, the big picture of this is you have to question if you want to know perhaps what's going on underneath in this sport. This is a guy who couldn't get over 90, 91 miles an hour for his entire career. He was a triple A, quad A type pitcher starting pitcher in the Blue Jay system who just was a guy. And then he instantly was throwing 97 and it's not stopped. I mean, you know, you don't get to use the, Oh, it's a one anything. He couldn't throw 91. His life depended on for one pitch. Never mind, He's going to let it fly. I mean, so if you want to know if I'm looking at it going, do I want to pay 54 million for, especially in the climate with what's happened recently with the Angels Clubby. I mean, that kind of stuff. Which we'll talk about too. We'll talk about that. You've got to go, you know, I'm not saying anything other than that's a prime candidate for something fishy. You know, you're going, yeah, but how do you go from 91 to 97? I mean, you're not, it's not pine tar on your fingers. It gives you six extra miles. That's what I'm saying. So uh, what I'm saying is you don't, you don't overnight. It's 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 extremely unusual and maintain it. So so if I'm the White Sox or anybody oh, else, I see I see where you're going. I, I'm I not paying fifty four million for it. I'm 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 hoping it just continues and I'm paying one million for it or I don't want it. You yeah. know what I mean? I just or you're looking for it. another guy to to become the next Hendricks. That's right. Right. Like and there's and like I said, there's so many relievers out there. Uh, and we'll talk about that because, I mean, for, if you're the Jays and you're looking at the market right now, you got Bauer, Springer, Rio, Rio Muto, 
out there are kind of the prime guys. And I don't really see why they wouldn't be in on those guys other than the fact that maybe they don't want to play here. But I don't think they're going to have a ton of offers aside from the Jays. Yeah, you, that, well, that's the point. And, and slow playing this market has benefits. But, but then again, does it? Uh, you're not getting the guy you want. What's the benefit? I don't know. You save a few bucks. This again, Darren, this is not a salary cap world. The, the Toronto payroll is so low. I, I don't care that Rogers saves some money. It's not, it's not my money and it doesn't impact them signing other guys. They are not at the, right. you know, luxury tax here where it's going to not allow them to compete as a fan. We've got to stop thinking baseball is like hockey and football and basketball with a salary cap. Nothing precludes them from signing Springer and Bauer and all of them. They are not in that situation. So why people think like that? Well, they train you to think like that. The sports train you to think like that. And everybody's in that hockey mindset over here going, well, I don't want to overpay. Uh, excuse me? Yeah, I, you I can. do. Yeah. I, like they lost out on the guy they should have wanted. Period. End of story. Francisco Lindor was there for the taking. There is no way you lose up to the Mets on that with the package they gave up. If you are in the position the Blue Jays are in, you go. Would you have taken him for one guy. year, though? Absolutely, I would have. Just the one year? Why not? They didn't give up a lot, the Mets. It's not like you're giving up anything off your roster. You're not giving up Bichette, Biggio, or the one guy I would give up maybe is Gurriel. And the reason I give yeah. him up, because he's 27. He's the same age as Lindor. And, and he plays a lesser and he's like not, left field. And I love the guy. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a really quality player, but he's not a perennial all-star. Yeah. You can find a left fielder. You go get one. Pay for it. You know, or you, and and here's the other thing with Lindor. Pay him. Doesn't have to be one year. You've got a young, exciting team. Unless he absolutely says, I will not play for you at all. Well, then you probably don't want him for the one year anyways, but that's not happening. The guy, you pay him the money, he'll stay. Pay him. Like, why does it have to be one year? You don't think the Mets are going to sign him? Right. To a ten-year to deal or whatever. This is the part where we just we're always giving teams, not not just the Blue Jays, this idea that the benefit of the doubt on these things. If you want the player, Darren, go get the player. It, it's it's not like it's crippling you. You are going to give up very little on your team. Right. Maybe Guriel. Beyond that. You're going to give up some prospect capital that you've spent five years building as if that's the only thing that mattered. It's what you have. In fact, it's the only thing you have is prospect capital. That's been the whole basis of the plan. So now that you have it and potentially the top or one of the top shortstops in baseball is so easily acquirable, use it. Go use it to become a powerhouse that you should be in a big market. That's I, I just don't see the other side to that coin of this idea that there's a greater reward by building the perfect plan and we'll build the most perfect plan that we can get the most credit for at the end of the day. Wow, look how we built the greatest plan that ever was created. Like you still can only win a World Series. You know? Yeah. Like I, I don't not sure I understand. 
Well, and here's the thing, because here. You know? as, as, as much as I'll say, I think it's too early of a juncture to, to kind of judge this Blue Jays offseason because there's still sure. so much in play out there. If you look at the history of the current management team, there tends to be a passive approach to acquiring players and not a terribly creative approach beyond we'll, we'll just draft guys and, and develop them. And obviously you need more than one tool in your tool belt to, to create a great team, right? right. I love what, what the Braves did. They went and got Charlie Morton. They got Drew Smiley. And I think it was both short-term deals and it, like maybe a one-year deal for both, right. if, I, if I'm not incorrect, but totaling 26 mil. So that's, that's genius. Charlie Morton is a great pitcher right here, right now. And that's what the Jays could use a guy like Charlie Morton would complement their rotation. So great. I mean, having Ryu and then Morton would be a, a great counterpoint uh, to, to throw it, throw it other teams. And it's still having said that there's, there's still guys out there. If, if we're looking at the infield and uh, Jonathan scope is available second base. I'm not a huge guy there. Cesar Hernandez, Tommy Lestella would be an interesting guy, even as a, Wong. as a kind of guy just to have on the bench. He's, he would be the opposite of, yes. of a lot of the Jays' approach in terms of he takes walks, gets on base. They could use some guys like that. Um, Brad Miller's kicking around, but there's also guys like if you want, if you're still thinking about moving Bo, Andrelton Simmons out there, uh, Didi Gregorius is out there. I don't know how his arm is, and he played all last year in Philly and seemed okay. Those are those are interesting guys, and and still pitching wise. Taiwan Walker, Garrett Richards is a bit of a sleeper. Maybe I'm not sure where Cole Hamels is at, but there's still lots of guys out there. What would there's you do? Well, what would you do if you're looking at guys right now? What would you, what would your next steps be for the Jays? See, there's lots of guys that they, and they will get them. Like I said, they have the fortunate thing of being one of the few teams involved for a lot of players. You know what I mean? The supply is massive. The demand is short. So at some point you're going to get some quality players and you can, you know, as I would do if I was them too, act like that was the plan the entire time. You know what I mean? However, when you take a critical look, it's hard to believe that because you're not restricted with dollars and you shouldn't be. So it shouldn't be the plan. But if I was them, I think there's one player on the market that I think is going to make the biggest impact outside. I don't think they're getting Springer. I feel like, he, they might get him, but I don't feel like he wants to play here. Otherwise, he'd be yeah. Here. And I it feels think the like same he's thing, stringing along, right? The same thing with Bauer. I think Bauer probably ends up with the Angels. I just don't think here they want to be here, or you'd be here. It just kind of thing. Real Muto is the prize for me. For some reason, there's an edge to be had here. The market has yet to catch up, catch up to the value of a catcher. Catchers aren't demanding the big contracts that these other guys are, are demanding. Yet, arguably with shortstop, the most important position on the diamond yep. as a player. And what people aren't recognizing is the value of a great catcher relative to a replacement catcher is bigger than any other position. Every team has got Jansen and Reese McGuire. You, I can get you 20 of those guys for minimum salary. I can find better defensive catchers. So if you can get a real multi and not have to pay, that's called a huge edge on the market. You have an edge. Yep, the guy is a, yep. he's the best catcher in baseball. You know what I mean? He does it all. His defense is remarkable. He, I mean, if somebody falls into that, I think th th their edge on the competition is much greater. You know, 
if you can fall into that guy, that's the guy I want number one. I go get Riomoto and we'll do something with our catchers. Go get a defensive catcher that can just spell him on days because that's what you want. You know what I mean? You know, you're what old. What are you doing with Kirk? Well, he, he's not ready, Darren. He's, you watch him defensively. The guy's not ready. I mean, his bat, bat's major league. But watch him last year in, in Buffalo. There was so many little mistakes he was making defensively. Um, and what do you expect? The guy never played beyond, what, high eight? Love him. The fact that he's, as you may well know, he's on my fantasy team. You know, got him a year and a half ago. And the bat plays, man. But you just watch him defensively. And you're just like, that's, you can't, over 162, you can't carry that. The guy's just got to play. Go play. And one area of opportunity for the Jays has been for these last few years has been defense. And there's actually some guys in the market that are, uh, for, I mentioned Simmons at shortstop. Who's a great defensive shortstop? They also, you wouldn't do Simmons, I Jackie mean, Bradley Jr. You yeah, think it all about Jackie Bradley Jr. One hundred percent, are you Bradley? I don't do Simmons, and here's why: it, it, this is not a fantasy baseball team. Bo Bichette does not want to come off shortstop. Now, would have would it have happened for Lindor? I'm guessing yes. You know what I mean? I think so. It has to be somebody otherworldly, or else. You, you're dealing with a moving. human being. The kid yeah, has fair. worked his ass off. He is arguably your top player, your top prospect. You could go back with Vladdy and all that. Like, you know, I'll give you whatever. But right now, you do not treat that guy as if he's just a movable piece in a fantasy lineup that qualifies at second base. Fair. You go, unless it's Francisco Lindor and you go, look, Bo, this is about winning and we're going to win a championship doing this. You go, Bo, you're our shortstop because that's the best way to win. The win, keeping the kid happy so the kid, when his contract's up, isn't out the door. Going, I'm of, a shortstop, you know? For, for the fans on the outside, like myself, who frequently have great creative ideas on what teams should do in the offseason, how much of an issue are those things, egos or whatever you want to call it? I'm not even necessarily saying it's bad that Bo wants to play shortstop. But how much of how much are those factors that we don't see? How much do they play into teams' decision making? Well, I, I I feel they're well. How much do they play into the decision making? I think can be the difference between a great organization and and one that struggles. In my opinion, I believe they're vitally important. I believe they're just as important as analytics. Uh, that's not a popular opinion these days. I recognize that. That's your 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 labeled a dinosaur in, you know, not understanding how analytics works. I just disagree with that. I've seen it firsthand. Uh, I've seen players not perform when things are going on in their personal lives. Come on. You you just, how can you dismiss that? You go to your work every day. And if you're feeling not as valued as you should be, it affects the way you hand your day goes. It affects the way you perform. It affects the way you approach life. To, to yep. dismiss that is something uh, absolutely not something we should monitor or, or try to figure out is ludicrous. And I think well, that's what the analytic community community misses. They can't compute it. So they dismiss it. And, and then right. they look down on everybody else that actually talks about, you know, the eye test or, you know, things along right. those lines or, or really what's happening because you just, A, you can't compute it or e, you don't even know about it. If you're going to explain it to them, it has to be at the altar of analytics. Anything that, that is not at the altar of analytics, they're just going to completely dismiss. It's too often that's the case. Uh, but I want to ask you, as you started off prior to, to working with the Jays as pretty much an analytics guy. I mean, oh, as a fan, sure. So, 
Yeah, yeah. I so was you, the same. You, I only knew, I only had half the puzzle. So you work with so, half the puzzle. So what was that education like? And I know you've mentioned before Cito being like a, an influence on you in terms of oh. appreciating what you did today might not be the best move for today, but might work out in the long run. Absolutely. And, and you can only appreciate the genius of somebody like Cito is when you spend time with them and actually understand another man's point of view, right? Whether whatever walk of life, but his walking issues a little bit to understand another man's point of view. And we're so easy to criticize other people we don't know because it makes us feel better because on the surface, in our context of analytics, he made a move that wasn't maximizing a team's chance to win at that very second. You know, he, he's the anti Buckshow Walter. That's why I love Buckshow Walter as a manager. I felt like he was always doing that and every little microscopic event was maximized. But you lose players in the long run some way. And Cito, I can remember a story he told me about a player in April and May. You know, right-handed pitcher came in, right-handed hitter, game on the line. And it's not that he didn't know he should use a lefty in that situation. And that, you know what I mean? He's like, I'm going to leave that guy in the lineup. I actually think if I go back, it was Candy Maldonado at the time, but I don't want to just misrepresent it. But he's like, I wanted him to know that I'm going to need him in that situation in September. He's going to need to know he's capable of that moment. So I'm going to use him in April to build a better squad down the road. And I, I just love that story. Now, analytics people will say, well, you don't need to. You just make sure you pinch it for him in April and September. But it's not always that way. You know what I mean? Right. There's there's more to it. If, if a player never – you never allow a left-handed hitter to hit against a left-handed pitcher. You think he's getting better at it? They could just we pigeonhole guys and label them as it's just not something they can do ever. That's not that's not human achievement, man. It's not human achievement. Why can't he hit a left-hander? You don't have infinite resources. I don't have 15 left-handed hitters on my bench every night, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. <laughs> I have an infinite amount of pinch hitters. That's not how the game works. Now the game was better for it because you did have less players. Unfortunately, in today's Major League Baseball, it's one of the problems with the game. We have we're closer to limited unlimited resources. We have we allow them to carry many more players that allow us to do those things, and it's hurting the game. I want to see a left-handed hitter face a left-handed pitcher. That's what I want to see. You don't have a choice. <laughs> well, it's it to. To me, as as a product, it's just about identifiability. Which is, I mean, if you look at a 1985 roster, you're going to see, you know, I think the Jays used 14 pitchers in 1985, 14 or 16. I, I could be wrong. And then you look at how many pitchers. Forget about last year because last year was a mess. But the season before that, and you're looking at 30 some pitchers. For a fan, it's just like it's a blur of I don't know who this guy is. I don't know who this guy is, and you don't care. And that's the most important thing. If you're the Major League Baseball. You got fans saying, and I, I don't care about this. I don't care about a bunch That's of right. faceless guys coming in, all throws the same. It's you know an interesting guy because they're talking about Hendricks from the Cubs. A lot of Jays fans are talking about yeah, yeah. Cubs seem to be yeah. jettisoning things. Hendricks is a really interesting pitcher in terms of he's a guy who whose fastball routinely checks in at eighty seven to eighty eight. You know, and watching him. As a guy who loves watching pictures, I just I don't know how he gets people out. Nobody's paying fifty-four million dollars for that. 
And if it's, it's just, functional, it's functional, right? It's right. Like if it works, it works. The only problem is like, and I'm forgetting, going blanking on the guys, Jay's guy's name who changed speeds. Marco Estrada. Yeah, Estrada. Yeah. It's the problem it's with those guys. Change it. And guy. when they're when they're done, they're done. Like when the end is here, it's it's over. There's there's you can't you've got no place to to go from that. What were your thoughts on guys like what would you think of getting Kyle Hendricks? At least you know what it is. And I think I don't know. I know what you're saying. When you're done, when you're you're done. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, the shelf life lasts a lot longer. I mean, I'm going to tell you when a guy throwing 97 loses his fastball, he doesn't know how to pitch anymore. He's done. He's getting mm-hmm. smoked. These guys, you're telling me how how are these these guys shouldn't be there in the first place with the stuff with the, the velocity? Mm-hmm. Not the stuff is fantastic. I mean, you're talking about Mark Burley. How in God's name did he last as long as he did? Right. He wasn't done when he was done. He was never done, actually. He was great right until the end. Right. <laughs> he was just, he couldn't recover. His body fell apart. His ability yeah. to pitch did not ever. Four days in between wasn't enough anymore. It right. just, his body broke down. But he, give him a ball and he's going to give you probably nine. I'd be inclined if Kyle Hendricks' body holds up. You know, I'm more inclined to go after that than I am just pure gas. Yeah. I, I I think, you know, it's the R.A. Dickey thing. Give me innings, man, because if you give me innings, they're quality innings. Because if you don't give me innings, it's because you're not pitching well. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. At a certain point in time, you're going to define yourself by how you do in short series against really high-quality teams. And I wonder about the when you start getting guys with a, a kind of lower ceiling like that. Sure. How are they going to be when they start lining up against playoff teams? Because to me, it's two different things. How you do over a 162-game schedule, which is, of course, Agreed. important. But with so many playoff spots, you're probably going to get there. And now how are you going to do when you're faced in the Yankees or Houston or something? Sure. I mean, well, the American how- League, what's happened in the American League is tragic. It really it's is. Really bad. Like, compared to the National League, it's awful. If, if I had an American League team right now, I immediately would try to compete. The, 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 the sure. path is so easy. The path, especially with all the free agents that are there, I'd actually play it, slow play it, if I had a restrictive budget. Yeah. And then pick off all the stuff at the end that I'm, I'm getting a bargain on. You're going to get bargains. There's going to be guys there that just aren't, you know, the demand has disappeared. Right. And here they are. So the avenue to compete, you can fill in some pieces pretty quick. Who are the great teams in American League right now? Uh, the Yankees, maybe. I mean, maybe. they've got a lot of questions too. Okay. Whew, great teams. I think that's it. Like Houston's a, a, a good team. What? I wouldn't call them a great team. Boston is, I don't know, they purposely walked out into the wilderness looking for for, I don't know, God, I don't understand this one salvation yeah, or I, something. I, it's, I, I don't know what that's the doing. only answer I think you right. can come up with. They're, yeah. they're on a spiritual mission that they right. just, when they're they looking decide, for some quotes from Abraham Lincoln and, uh, you know, ben, Benjamin Franklin to guide them perhaps. And, and when they decide they've had enough of this little journey, they'll be back. It'll be like, yeah, I, I'm ready to go again. You know what I mean? That's yeah. Just, it's, it's not easily explainable why they're there. I think they just, yeah, need to can go you find imagine themselves. If they had, crowds in boston last year they wouldn't be allowed to do this no 
Well, there would have been seats being tossed on the field the pressure, for that embarrassment that they did last year. It's funny, it's funny what COVID's did to our sporting landscape. Like I said, it's given teams excuses not to compete. It's given them excuses to save money, and that's all they're doing. They're but just, you know, the funny thing is you don't see it in hockey. I don't see that same kind of – I mean, it seems just more drastic in, in baseball than it is in hockey. I mean, most of the teams are to the cap. Yeah, I think because because of the cap, because of the revenue sharing and things along those lines. You know what I mean? I yeah. think it's built to be like that. Yeah, I think it's more designed that way. But you do have teams that tank in hockey too. You know, for sure. I mean, Detroit's yeah. been doing it for a few years now, and Ottawa just well, they just can't help themselves. Uh, Ottawa is <laughs> they're just it, a bad organization. Yeah, as soon as you have that owner, as soon as you have Melnick as your owner, it it's like Her- to me it's very similar to Harold Ballard, although I think Melnick is not as you know what. Let, as I, actually, Ballard. let's talk a little hockey here. I do want to sure. say one thing, and this is going to be uh, baseball. I think is the easiest sport to fix. Everybody's looking and trying to dissect it and going really deep on what the issues are. That's just so simple it's like i said about the best story wins restrict rosters restrict roster movement restrict the ability to put players on the dl and the game all the other problems fall away darren it's like i said if you have to manage your assets manage your innings you don't have the ability to bring players in and out left, right, and center where they're not known to the fans, where they can't develop an identity. All those other problems go away. We don't have to worry about a million roster moves, a million switches. The games get quicker. The games are more entertaining. You know, you got to put the ball in play because you can't just move guys up and down the roster or sell it to a style of baseball. Everything gets better if you just restrict roster size and restricts the ability to call guys up and down and move them on a fake de- disabled list. Just stop the ability to have an unlimited amount of resources and a million of problems get fixed. It's that simple. I believe that that big global view, I think that fixes so many problems. And then all of a sudden you go, wow, the game's a lot more entertaining. I know who's on the team. And when the team breaks camp, I can sink my teeth into it. I can go, that's my guy, good or bad. Right. This is my team, for the most part. And you yeah. go from there. I mean, football has – When you, uh, it's funny that baseball so often models itself after football. You could clearly see it want to mm-hmm. be football. But football at least figured out they wouldn't have 17 quarterbacks in one game. That's right. They wouldn't because nobody would watch. Nobody would play fantasy football if you had that much movement at your most high-profile position. You right. have – that's – football's attraction really is Tom Brady yeah. and Drew Brees. Right. It's, it's at the quarterback and, and, and football position. football was smart enough to go, you know, these guys are making us so much money. Let's make sure Tom Brady can play till he's 45 and then everybody will marvel at how great Tom Brady is. No, yeah. Tom Brady – wouldn't be able to do this 20 years ago because he had been injured and he'd be right. out of the game. Yeah, he's playing so, against Chicago or something. The Bears would have murdered him at murdered age, him. You know, It's yeah. not because Tom Brady is a, you know, any different than the previous guy. It's that he doesn't get hurt because you can't touch him. You know, they're smart. So baseball is like, no, let's minimize the starting pitcher, our biggest attraction. 
Yes. Let's let's ooh, we're smart. Let's not let the guy pitch anymore. Have 14 guys coming to the bullpen throwing 98 and nobody knows their name. How is that good? If you're having a conversation at work about the Jays game that night, the conversation goes something like this. Who's starting for the Jays tonight? That's that's how it starts. That's the heart of that game. If it's, you're like, yeah, let's talk about what's going to define it. It's starting pitchers. And now it's going to be, oh, I don't know. It's an opener. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like bad plan on so many different levels. You, Wilmer you've Font. outsmarted yourself. Wilmer Font. Right, like, right. And then everybody talks about how great he is at it. Are you going to wear your Wilmer Font jersey while you're watching that game today? <laughs> Nobody asks that. Because if you're late, he'll be out of the game by the time you turn yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. 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 You know, and then we're going to try and trick you through innings three through five with a starting pitcher who can't start. That's why Wilmer Font's out there because yeah. we don't want him to face the top of the order. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, therein lies your problem. Don't allow that. And you don't allow it by re- reducing roster size where a starting pitcher must go seven if possible because we don't have anybody behind him tomorrow. There's another game tomorrow. Can't yeah. call guys up and down. Can't can't pretend they're hurt. They're not like this 15 DA day DL, the 10 day DL gone 60 days. You're hurt 60 days because that player is going to go. I ain't going on a DL. I'm not hurt. Exactly. (laughs) You know, so that those little tweaks, the game is on a way to being fixed again. So anyways, hockey tonight. Yeah, there is hockey on every night for the next 116 nights. And while I'll obviously be bored of that at some point, because, you know, <laughs> like too much of anything is too much. Yeah. Um, in the current climate, I am quite, quite excited to have uh, this beautiful game back. And as you know, as a Buffalo Sabres fan, it's been a very long time since they've actually laced them up and played a hockey game that I really want. They are an intriguing team. They the are. Sabres, your boys, because I've thought about three or four years ago, I thought, the Sabres and the Leafs are almost on the same trajectory. And I thought it was going to be really exciting competition I the Sabres, between them. Sabres were better positioned, actually, at one point. Yeah. And how foolish. Well, that they may have been, but they certainly uh, didn't, didn't see it through. That's for sure. It didn't go the way you would expect. And then you start making bad decisions after that. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's for much as I criticize the Leafs sometimes. Hard to argue that they're a, a good hockey team. I mean, the organization is uh, a good one. I think you can say that. We, we you know, we, we talk about the moves Dubas has made and talk about Shanahan. And so, but, man, it's a pretty solid organization, and the Sabres are obviously trying to get to that point, and it's been a disaster. It's been a mess. What do you and, think of the team this year? Well, I'm currently in that uh, mode I get into where I, I get excited and see the, the possibilities. The glow. I see the possibilities as a to the realities and uh, you know about a month in I'm like yeah here we go again and this is just <laughs> <laughs> you know trying to dissect why they're so bad and but but I, I have some real hope that they are going to be entertaining I do not expect them to make the playoffs I think mostly because I think they're in the strongest division in they hockey are. unfortunately absolutely yet more bad luck here for them however I'm okay with that if they play really entertaining hockey. I mean, you, you, what can you expect when you've just been near the bottom of the league for so long? Um, I think they finally got some things right, you know, and, and they're 
anti-analytics things. And I really, really excited about that. You know, we've moved out guys like Johan Larson that were the darlings of the analytics. He's a terrible hockey player. I just don't know what measurement is telling you he's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm happy we've retained a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen, who I, I'm a big fan of. And I would just get killed for that point of view, that he's just such a terrible defenseman to people who just live and die by analytics. Um, and we've brought in some, we've improved our bottom six, which was so bad. You know what I mean? There's still concerns. The defense could be an issue. We've got, style of play could be interesting. We've got guys like Montour and Miller who are not, they were just really bad in their own end last year. And they're those puck moving guys that everybody loves that when you see them play for other teams, they're like, wow, that guy's a really nice player. It's the old Tyson Berry thing. Yeah. Then you get him over here and you're like, wow, there's a lot of deficiencies in that guy's game. You know, he's going he's gonna to score some nice goals every now and then, and he can play the power play. But boy, in his own end, he makes some really bad decisions, overplays the puck. They still have those guys. So that's, that's going to be an issue, I think. But the yeah. bottom six fours by, you know, well, you had Taylor Hall. I just think that there's not much you need this. I, look, I know the concerns of Hall sometimes, but I think you play him on a team that's got some already dynamic players that's going to lift him into that stratosphere again. Adding a Cody Eakin on the back end as opposed to a Larson, a Tobias Ryder. Uh, those guys are just better hockey players than what we had there. And I think they're not incapable of actually scoring the odd goal. We forget about that part of killing penalties and, you know, this idea of killing penalties that the only goal is not get scored on. That's the mistake teams make. That's why the best players play on penalty kill. You know, it's, it's an opportunity to score goals too. Um, and I think they're more, they're just better positions. I'm just pretty pumped to see it. And I, I you know, they could finish last <laughs> always seems to be the case at points where I think that just, just be competitive, be in the mix. There, there are some teams in that division. I think Washington could fall back. Boston's starting out with obviously some injuries. Boston's a key injury away from falling back a little bit. Charlie McAvoy, the back end. You know, Bergeron and Marchand, they're great players. They're another year older. I, I'm not, I, I'm just, you know, you're stretching it here at this point. And everybody's in the analytic committee still is in love with Pittsburgh. And I think there's some glaring holes in that team. Glaring. And your two big guys are another year older. That matters. Yeah. Do I expect them to fall out of playoff positions? Probably not. But you can see a scenario where, you know, an injury or two and those teams are fighting for their lives. Um, it reminds me of Detroit. When you talk about Boston, for a long, remember Detroit had that, Enormous drink of making the Good playoffs. Yeah. And and I, after a while, you're like, ah, you know what? You could see like these guys are getting older and Datsuk and Zetterberg. And you think, how long can this go on for? When the end comes, it's always a surprise to everybody. Right. So for the Bruins, it seemed like they're just too good of a team. But I've uh, the Patriots this year, right? It really just took, you remove one guy and all of a sudden, everything else came tumbling down. And it's right. been... For the Patriots, it's been a few years of going, like, how long? I mean, they're an extreme example of, of a team being so good for so long. But it can all fall apart. It seems impossible. Everybody thought the Patriots would be great this year. 
Uh, and it's to me, the Bruins are a team that that is a tough division. I agree with you though. Washington has Samsonov and Net, who I like, but he's still a young goal, younger goalie. And they're another team with some older guys at, at the the center of that team. They could fall off a little bit, and then sure. you never know. Maybe Buffalo, Allmark, Allmark has to be really good. Allmark has to be really good, and there's a narrative in Buffalo that the goaltending isn't good enough, and I disagree with that. Allmark played really well for a, quite a stretch of games before this. He got hurt and before the season was called off. He was good, and I think there's reason to believe that's what he is. And even watching him come up, you could see why he could be a good goaltender. If you watch him every night, your guy, that guy's a good goaltender. It's there. Now, yeah. Right. So I'm not really that concerned. That doesn't need to be improved to me as, as a glaring thing. It's the back end of that defense and how, I don't know, maybe moving Montour back to the right side is going to do it for him. I just don't see Colin Miller ever being good in his own end, um, you know, and then everybody hangs out your best defenseman. It's like, you know, to me, we always blame our best players when things don't go well. And it's usually all the rest of the guys that aren't good enough. You know what I mean? Well, it's Eric, like Lindros theory, Eric Lindros theory. Everybody blame Lindros. It's like, no, you need a couple more like him. Not it's the other guys who weren't very good. <laughs> well, it's like Drew Doughty last year. All the, all the analytics guys are like, Drew Doughty turned into an awful defenseman. Did he? <laughs> did he really? Or did the team just get really terrible? And is it really hard being the best defenseman on a terrible team? That's to me, like anybody who's played defense knows how hard it is to play for an awful team. I'm going to forget where this guy, the goaltender is right now. And I, and I, I know, but I just escaped me. And I was listening to a podcast about gambling, which, you know, gambling on NHL, which I find very interesting. It starts and they're talking about Thomas Grice, goaltender and how good he is and what a difference he's going to make on that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Before Barry Trotz got to New York, Thomas Grice was a backup at best, nothing yep. special. And then his numbers, like Robin Leonard's, miraculously became top of the league. So you're using this model and plugging it into another, you know, living organism of another team and saying this is – he is not that good and he won't make a difference. If you can't recognize what happens over here, it's just not plug and play. A goaltender, you have to look at from a different perspective. You know, it's like saying with Allmark. Don't tell me Allmark's a bad goaltender. I watch him. You know what I mean? He's on a bad hockey team. He's been on. Like you can. There's a few see. coaches. There's a few coaches. Like when goalies play for a couple coaches, coaches oh. Torts is like this too. I tend to find that they're they're more successful, you know. Torts and and of course Trots is the same thing. Suddenly right. you're in that organization. I mean, there's a lot more going on with Leonard, of course, to his story. Agreed, agreed, and right, that's the one sure. piece we didn't have back in the Buffalo days. You didn't know he was going through. Yeah, all yeah, that yeah, days. exactly. But I do find that goalies are such a product of the, of the organization they play for, and people too often just totally act like, as you say, as if you can take somebody who has a nine thirty save percentage here and throw them on any old team, and suddenly they'll be fine. It's like, no, no, not at all. It's like Anderson became, oh, Anderson's our only problem last year for the Leafs. And it's like, no, man, no, please man. watch these games. Watch, watch the like, breakdowns are so significant when they happen, but you're counting that breakdown as if it's the same breakdown that happened at the other end, and it isn't. And they you know? never take it to the other side. Are you trying to tell me Carey Price became a bad goaltender? No. Even though Montreal was very bad for quite a while. 
No, yeah. I think we could still recognize that Carey Price was elite. His team was bad. You know, so you can't plug the guy who's got good numbers in a good system and just plug him into a random team. It doesn't work that way. Right. It's like one of the great storylines for me this year is to see for me. Now, again, we were talking about the catching situation, the difference between a real Muto and a lot of other guys, goaltending. You don't have that so much. I think like the replacement level guy often is not as far off as, you know, some of the great goaltenders in the league. But for me, from the games I've watched, the best goaltender in the league is Markstrom. Uh, I remember watching him last year just going, this guy is next level elite. And I'm really curious to see how this Vancouver-Calgary thing plays out. I, I actually put a little bit of money to have uh, Markstrom as the Vezina Trophy winner. That's, well, he's in the right division for it. Two reasons. One, I think he's the best goalie in hockey. That doesn't mean a lot necessarily. But two, I think the narrative for him to win it is there. If Calgary jumps up, makes the playoffs, you know what I mean? As a good team, you go, oh, it's because of Markstrom. And it very well might be. So it, it, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. And I'm really curious to see what happens to the Canucks. I actually like Thatcher Demko. I think he's very good. I think people, but what I don't like is Braden Holtby. And if they, he's starting, he's is their he? guy. Yep. I can't believe they think he's their guy. What about the last couple of years is, it's, it's alluded to. If you can't watch Holtby play and go, that's going the wrong way. Right. That's going, I don't know what you're doing. Like, like, and he was with an organization that you should be able to, to achieve good results with. That's right. The way Washington was playing Context those last matters. couple of years. And he wasn't. This is why there's one team that everybody is selling out on that I have a concern with still. And that's the Colorado Avalanche. Man, what a great hockey team. They have no goalies. They have no goaltending. Philip Grubauer is not very good. Now, no. I don't know. Hey, maybe the backup is Frank Kuz guy. He's, no, he's like 30 but he's getting an opportunity. You just don't know if some of these guys is like Dominic Hasek. We, we didn't know until we saw it. You know what I mean? So there's a but wild he, card there, no. but right. I don't probably not, probably not, but I'll tell you what isn't. I don't believe Grubauer is it. So you're Colorado and it, it masks itself because the team is so dominant. Sometimes you fool yourself because you just don't need, it's like Grant Fuhrer. I'm sorry, man. Like you just, you didn't need the best goaltender in the world. Like you just didn't need it. That you were so dominant. He was good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a different world in NHL today. Colorado is going to be a dominant hockey team. There's no doubt about it. But can you go the distance with that? Look it's what happened last criminal. year. It's almost criminal. It's almost criminal. They almost did last year too with that goaltending. It was with Hutchison. Just, they had Hutchison in it. And they I don't were, even think both. I don't think the. Both goalies were hurt either. I think one of them was. Mm -hmm. And they, the other guy was just so bad, they, they ended up throwing right. Hutchison in. That's right. And like, if you have to use Hutchison, like, you Ever. have not planned properly for, for a regular NHL season game, for a regular NHL, let, let alone correct. a key playoff game. You're watching that game last year, and it's like, Colorado can't win because he's in that. How period. do you answer they to can't that cover locker room? It up. How do you answer to that locker room going, this is the all I got for you? You know, yeah, like, cause you know, you're dead. They knew they were dead. And how do you go into this season with that? Still the question. So uh, Edmonton's the same way. Like how could you thing. possibly think year that after that's year? We said the Leafs are the best team in the division. They may not be like Edmonton should be a very good hockey team. 
but they're similar to Toronto where they've kind of, you know, they're top heavy, obviously with what they're paying to guys, but those two guys are obviously great players. So they have trouble filling up a bit of the rest of the roster, but man, you can't, you can't leave your goaltending in that situation. There's, there's guys, you you got to try and find them, man. Like if we're talking about Ottawa, if I'm in that dressing room and we're looking around and say, you know what? We could maybe make some noise. Like we're, yeah, we're, we're the worst team in this division, but none of these teams don't have significant flaws to them. And we're Correct. not that bad. And we've got yeah. some possibilities. We've got ceiling. Right. We've got guys with ceiling, man. Yeah. Like, look at Ottawa. I mean, Kachuk's a hell of a player. You know, they got guys that put the puck in there. And then you're bringing in the Stutzla kid. And Josh Norris, nobody's talking about. He's going to play in the top yeah. line. These guys are exciting. You know, and, and the guy in the back end, Shabbat. Yes, he's an exciting player who, if he was playing for any other team, people would be talking about a lot more than they are, right? Right. Now they went out and got Matt Murray. I mean, that's... Well, I mean, and how Murray will work out, I don't know. But it's, you know, and to, to Ottawa's credit, they weren't getting killed last year. What are your thoughts on, I always thought part of Buffalo's problem was almost like a karma issue, that they tank so bad, residual impacts to tanking that bad on the culture of your organization. Me being extreme on that, what do you think? When you tank that bad, it's a long climb out. You definitely create a culture. There's no doubt. And and like I said, the analytics community just wants to dismiss it right away. Hey, man, you've got one of the top players in the game. I mean, hockey just doesn't work that way. Like, like, this is not basketball. Basketball is built for that. You go get LeBron James, you're in the playoffs next year. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, the guy doesn't come off the court. Hockey. One or two guys can define your team, can totally, totally renovate your team. Can't do that in hockey because you just don't get those minutes, right? Your top two guys are playing a third of the game. A third of the game. As opposed to 100% basketball. That's right. That by itself, do the math analytics, people. Just do that math, you know? It's much more difficult. And yes, it matters what you strike. The culture matters. It's hard to come out of that. Can you do it? Obviously, you know, you get great players, obviously, but there's something still there. When it goes sideways, it's easy to see, Oh, here we go again. You know, here we go again, mentality. And it's certainly been pervasive in that organization. I just, how can you say it hasn't been? How do you say that? I don't know. It's, it's, it's it's there and you've got to win to change it you've got to win to change it and it's just not a simple go get one great player it just like i said it doesn't work that way tanking in hockey just it's it's you you don't attract free agents like you forget about all those other things about getting good players when you're the worst team in hockey just because you went and got jack eichel or Connor mcdavid how long like yeah you want to play with those guys but when you're people just want to win it's kind of funny. It's something we don't win. talk about a lot that that those two guys, you know, McDavid and Eichel, and both organizations have not been successful. And it's obviously I'm not blaming those guys. I think Eichel was amazing last year. When Toronto great. played Buffalo, he was the best player on the ice. He is. By far, hands down. And I'm, I thought Austin Matthews was amazing in the playoffs last year. He, he was, was pretty good in the, in the regular season. But Eichel was the guy on the ice, and it jumped out at you watching it. Eichel controls a hockey game. I think Matthews isn't that style of player that doesn't diminish how awesome he is. Great um, point. Um, Eichel Great just point. simply controls the hockey game. 
and it's just a pleasure to watch. And those are my favorite players. When Isn't I go over the kind boards, of... it's just like he dictates what happens out there. Is is he the elite scorer at Matthews? Is? No, but isn't he elite scorer? Yes. But Matthews is that next level elite scorer, but he's not going to have the same impact on the game that he that an Eichel can have. I just right. it's it's a different Eichel's... style. I think you could say if there was a, an exact, precise geographical center between the player that Matthews is and a player that Marner yep. is, it would be Jack Eichel. Like he's okay. right dead center in terms of embracing kind of elements of both of them yeah. in one in one package. Uh, which isn't to say he's better necessarily. Than no, it's like not. Say, it's Matthews, the beauty of hockey. It's a, Matthews' you ability to all. score, like just score it, that shot Crazy. from Matthews is otherworldly, and it's. It Tough to place a value on. I mean, look at Phil Kessel's career. Right. right. You know, there's a guy oh, I've seen run away from physical contact. Mm-hmm. Like literally, yeah. like like a cartoon character getting out of the way of contact. He hated it so much. But the dude could score. And he was creative to a, to a certain level as well. Like I think his full game doesn't get some of the appreciation it does because he's Phil Kessel. Yeah. Right? But damn, being able to score is such a rarefied skill. And not everybody can tap into it. You That's know? correct. And, and Matthew's ability to let go of that puck is just crazy. Yeah, if you don't have that, you can't learn that skill. What, if what'd you, you think don't of the, have it, you, don't, you cannot learn it. Absolutely. Well, you know what, though? I thought Marner in that exhibition game, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an exhibition game. <laughs> the blue-white game? In her team there where Nick Patan looked like the best player on the ice for a right. long time. So, right. yeah. uh, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I thought he was really letting it show in, first off, the inclination to shoot more. And second off, really, really letting it go. Like, I mean, he just seemed to have more on a shot. It was a little bit a quicker release. It seemed uh, sharper, just a more snap in his shot. Oh, and that's huge. Great player. It's like, it reminds me I actually of think he does have it. That's, I, I, Marner's a great player. It's just a great player. You know, I love it. And if he could, it's like, I remember Ray for Alston for, for the Raptors. I don't know if you remember Ray for Alston. That I was do. in a dark period. For Strangely Raptors. enough, I remember Ray for Alston. But he was a fun basketball player. But after right. a while, teams figured out, well, just let him shoot. Right. Like can't just play it. it, take away his outlet pass. Dribble all shoot. over the place. Yeah. And he can't, you can't hit it. Yeah. And that you could see times where teams playing the Leafs just laid off Marner and gave him routes to shoot. And took care of Matthews. Just try to don't let Matthews shoot. Like if I'm playing the Leafs, that's the last person you want to shoot. But if you take that away and Marner becomes a little more dangerous, which I think he can, that that becomes a really scary line to try to defend against. I don't know what Thornton. I still haven't figured out how that's going to work. If yeah, it's let's, work. I, I know we've been on here a long time, and I want to I want to just run a couple things by it before we maybe wrap this up. But I, sure. I am I am still stunned at the way this Leaf team is coming into this season with the way the lines are set up. And I know it probably doesn't matter. The lines could change by the end of the night tonight. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. hockey how it is. But I feel like they put a plug on every line. <laughs> I mean, you put Thornton on the top line. Thornton couldn't play on San Jose's top line right now. One of the worst teams in hockey. I get it. I, I get he's on with two elite hockey players it's 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 going to discuss he and he's got a skill of passing the puck this is not going to work it's not going to last the guy cannot do this at this point 
Jimmy VC on the second line. We don't need the goal. Like we talked about a sort of Connor Brown reference. He's, he is the poster child go up and down the ice. Don't hurt us. Get off, please. Don't, you know, he might score a goal. He, he's the type of guy you're going to go, Hey, wow. Jimmy VC, what a nice addition. And then about a week and a half in, he's just going to slowly disappear on you. It's just going to be, how quick can we get this guy into the Marlies? You know, yeah. The what's the well, you're Kerfoot centering the third line. Why Hyman is down there and not on that first line is bizarre. And then, of course, it's, I love Spezza, but you, 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 you don't need four guys like Jason Spezza. You know, he's fine, fine. Is you don't have all the other guys on the team. I'm just and when you're just, one injury away from Bogosian having a significant role, ain't happening, man. Like I told you, he was in the press box with Buffalo, press yeah. box. It's not happening. I don't understand well, this. There's there's a lot of options though on defense that I think that they can work some stuff out. I think there are guys like I mean Lilligren looked decent to me the other night, but we'll concentrate on forward. And I had the exact same reaction. It's like, are you just trying to screw your top two lines? Is, is you just trying to like give them some dead weight? Like I make them as potent as you can. Like I don't understand the VC thing when you've got guys down on those bottom lines, I'd prefer to see Mikheyev on, on one of those top two lines. And and the thing like your point was the Ray for Alston point. Okay. Yeah. Thornton can pass, but if he's, that's all he can do. That's really all he can do. That's right. Why are teams going to just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Who are you going to pass it to? We'll give you a lane to the net because you're not going to do anything. And you're really? not going to be able to get there in any kind of time that we can't no, we'll take that alter away. our, what we're doing. Yeah. Like he's too easy to defend against what he does at this point because he only has one thing. That's and you right. want more dynamic sort of guys out there to compliment. I think JT needs a more dynamic guy because JT is becoming a more limited. He's becoming that kind of Thornton player. You know, yeah. like the, obviously not this version, but yeah, it's happening, right? Yeah. We're forgetting so don't about give that. him VC. Don't give him VC. Ugh. Give him and Bill. I think Bill is looking at William Nylander. It's, not everybody knows that. Yeah, some of us call him Bill. Played much think, better last year. Yeah, uh, he did. He, I think he figured out what what his thing is, and his thing is to to use his speed and his quickness to dart in and out of those areas, and then and, he has to go in those areas, and he can go in there and not stay long and be effective. It's, and he, it's and when he, and where he creates space. He holds the puck really well. Yep. Like like that impressed me a lot last year. He he created space and that was there's a real value to that. It's that speed, right? He comes in, he does same move almost every time. He comes in 100 miles an hour and curls back. But he's so fast, you have to respect his speed. You can't play that other move because if you start playing him to to pull around, to curl back, he'll just go by to the net. Right. There's, and that's what I mean about dynamic. There's too many things to think about defensively with Bill to, to really cover him I, appropriately. I, I almost feel like they're trying to validate and justify these offseason moves. Darren, Wayne Simmons is on your number one power play. <sighs> Are you kidding me? Are you, I know what they're going to do because, A, he can't do – just going to stand in front of the net. But really – is it, you're going this is not this, this is not Gary Dornhofer time in this flyers in the 70s you know I like I, I, I'm not saying you can't do that on occasion sometimes in the modern NHL we need to create havoc in front of that net in the power play because we just can't have five guys pass the puck around and never score you know what I mean yeah I yeah. get that but I think that's just validation for acquiring guys let's get Thornton on the first line let's show them Jimmy VC let's get Simmons on the power play I mean it just does not make a lot of sense to me. I think these are things that are going to 
show themselves really quickly and they're going to have to, Keith's going to have to adjust and go, hmm, okay, that's, we got to, we got to move quickly. We got to get this, Thornton's got to come off the line. DC, I don't know what we're going to do with Simmons. You're off the power, number one power play. To your earlier point, I think all these things could fall away pretty quickly in terms of where they sit now as opposed to what they will be. And so to me, when I'm watching the game the other night, I'm looking at Lettinen and trying to get a, a feel for, for what he is and what his potential is, or Barbarov is another guy in forward, yeah. Robertson. Robertson scored a nice goal with a shot, oh, but we talked about it at, the, at that time. What is he beyond that quick release? Well, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen enough to really know. It just seems like... It's probably why he's not in the lineup tonight. Right. He's and not in the lineup tonight. I, I don't think he is. I think he's the odd man out or extra forward anyways. Doesn't sound like that's what he's going to be. So Barbarov, I watched some highlights of, and I've, I always remember, uh, there's one thing I can say to people in appreciating players, don't watch highlight packages. Just right. <laughs> it's like I've drafted guys in baseball based on highlight packages because that's all you could see. There was a first baseman for the Twins from the Korean League a, a couple of years ago. Can't remember his name. Yeah, and then you're like, this guy's so great. He only hits home runs. He's right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what highlight packages are. You know what I mean? And then you see them in real life, and you're like, whoa, whoa. like watching Barbara <laughs> yeah. the other night, and you're like, hey, man, doesn't he deke through everybody and score every time? What's who's this guy? Yeah, the guy couldn't catch a pop-up down the line at all. I remember that. So, whoa, that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, that's not so good at first base. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I, I again, though, I, I couldn't be more excited to watch it, at least. And I'm really intrigued by this game. The Montreal thing, everybody seems to have fallen in love with the Canadians. Every expert is picking them to be great. And I'm uh, a little I'm not- hesitant. They're fully buying in on as, that. As I told you, if if the season went one day longer with COVID and Buffalo beat Montreal that night, Buffalo is in and Montreal doesn't make that the top 20-some teams that goes into the, the bubble. They're not even there. I think first, in any season, it always happens. This happens in baseball. Everybody jumps on a team that makes a ton of moves. And Padres did that for years and years, If you if you don't. If you oh, remember. I remember. Yeah. Making old Myers the year they yeah. picked up Myers and They're everybody. So bad. And then they falter, right? First, I think it's hard to make radical changes and be successful right away. And we've seen any number of examples for that. That doesn't mean teams shouldn't try it. We've seen it enough that there's a certain element of cautionary tale to that. Is this really going to work out the way everybody thinks it is? And I think when you take that and apply it to the current context where you have teams without huge training camps without real exhibition games against other teams how is it going to work in this context right so something that's proven itself to be less than a a slam dunk in terms of making these kind of changes you're now putting in i think a context that makes it even less likely to work there's two things i think that the canadians have going for them and it's that one they made lots of moves everybody thinks lots of moves is good always two the recency bias of what they did in the playoffs, winning that crapshoot of a series, you're right, I mean, that because they got in and they played, they surprised some people. So everybody thinks that's what they are. And three, I'll give you one more. The analytics community loves them. Everybody told you that Montreal was just unlucky all, all the time. Well, you know, uh, right, come on, right. you can't be on like the, the Canes, the Hurricanes, you know? This is why be careful of what we're watching in this crazy season. 
the Hurricanes are actually going to be quite good because of the division they're in. They could win that division with Tampa Bay. Could they played a lot of hockey, man? There's not a lot of incentive for them to be really good in the regular season. There's just not missing a lot their of best incentive. player, arguably missing the best their player. best player. Let's not forget that they won the Stanley Cup. They're coming off that. They played a lot of games. They'll worry about just getting into the playoffs. And the Hurricanes, there's not much behind them. So everybody's going to go, look how great. We told you the Hurricanes were great. You know what I mean? Let's follow that up a year from now. It's like even with the North Division, the least you could get misguided into thinking they've got it all figured out when, in fact, they're playing teams that are flawed, you know, as much as anything. So something just to watch for this season. This is just how people view things. But I think Montreal has just been overrated. I just uh, Josh Anderson's a great addition to me. Uh, that To me, that's that's – and this team has a bit of a sense of that Columbus heaviness to it at times without – they're missing the top player, though. They're missing that star quality. I mean, Brendan Gallagher is your top player, man. I mean, he's not yeah. Jack Eichel. He's not Taylor Hall. He's not Connor McDavid. He's not Matthews, Marner, Nylander. Uh, that's, that's, that's your calling card out there. It's there the, are some – and I guess the question, the thing that, that Habs fans are attaching oh. to it is – the young centerman Suzuki, uh, Jonathan Drouin still kicking around, and he's still young enough that you might expect a little bit more from Jonathan Drouin. Suzuki's a wild card, I think. Yeah, I think that's the wild card, um, and see what they have. But there's just, I, I just think they're missing some top end talent. I do like the back end; it's heavy, it's tough to play against. I think that's something to watch tonight. Petrie, Weber, you know that type of thing. They log minutes. They're tough oh, to well, play against. They're tough to play against. For those of us that love the Leafs-Habs rivalry, this season will be fun. And the, the juxtaposition in terms of sensibilities and team building is so profound at this point. Right. That it should really be fascinating to watch. Like I, We talked about this before. The Leafs aren't getting the test they should, should get for their team plan. Because this division is not a good division. That's right. When you compare it to the other divisions, particularly Buffalo's division. What I said about Carolina, too. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah, it's too easy. It's too easy even to walk. But it won't be the test for them. But the Habs should be, if the Habs are even remotely close to the hype that they're getting, they should be an interesting test just because it's such an interesting counterpoint to the Leafs roster. The Habs, to me, could be a team that's not as good as people think they are, but one hell of a test for the Leafs. They could, they, they're a, they're a tough out for the Leafs, man. That style of play that I think they're going to bring is going to cause problems for them. You know what I mean? And especially on down low with the Leafs. I don't know if, you know, I still think that could be an issue. I'm really curious to see what Brody brings. I'm really, I, I honestly don't know. I've not seen enough of him play. Uh, just being honest, you know. I agree. Um, no, I agree. I haven't seen him enough either. So, and it's really interesting to see. So, I think there's a lot of a lot of good storylines. But uh, uh, yeah, we didn't talk about Winnipeg again. That's just going to be the, our theme of just totally ignoring Winnipeg, even though they're a really good team and we should give them some attention. But it's it's Winnipeg. 